Whether you're a pro athlete, an exhausted parent, or you spend all day in an office chair, CBDMD wants to give you the support you need to make it through the day. CBD Freeze and Recover are an outstanding duo of topical products with specialized formulas to provide targeted relief where it matters most. And to make it even easier to try Freeze, Recover, and every other CBDMD product, you can take 25% off on your next order when you use the promo code MBA at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code MBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 928 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening. We will talk all about the Hawks losing to the Dallas Mavericks by one point this evening. A lot to get to with that particular contest. But first, before we get to the game, and we'll break it down from every angle as we always do on the show, um, there was a little bit of news in the last day or two as I recorded um, the two-part episode that you might have heard earlier this week with Tower Jones, and it's still relevant if you want to listen to that one. But we recorded that on Sunday morning, so we were still... Um, not knowing all about DeAndre Hunter, and then I updated that a little bit in the preamble to part one and part two the last couple of days, but we've got actually more information that came out on Tuesday. Travis Schlenk, the Hawks president of basketball operations, spoke to John Fricke and Hugh Douglas on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta on Tuesday morning, revealed some details on DeAndre Hunter. This is actually a hat tip to Mike Conti. I did not hear this, so I'm trusting Mike, who is uh, reliable. Um, Travis said that DeAndre Hunter was, quote, dealing with a cyst on the side of his knee, end quote, when he was initially injured. And they were hopeful that that was all going to be what it was and he was going to be okay after some rest, etc. But after the MRI, um, you know, and all the stuff, they were trying to get him rest and have him be on track a little bit closer than that. They made the decision to get it fixed now after he was still having some pain and some discomfort, some issues there. So he had the surgery as the Hawks announced he was going to on Monday, and in Schlenk's words, I'm going to quote him here from Mike, um, quote, the doctors say typically on average these things take seven to ten weeks, and most of the guys are ready to go by eight weeks, so we're hopeful, end quote. He also said that DeAndre's not in a brace or crutches or anything like that, so he might not actually be able to do this, like, some stationary bike stuff even this week. But it's obviously going to be a while. You know, there were all kinds of timetables throwing out, th- thrown around there. The Hawks have not announced a timetable other than the two-week reevaluation. But Travis Schlenk saying this on the record on the radio means seven to ten weeks is not what I'm going to operate on. Honestly, that's kind of a wide range, but we will see what's going on there. But you know, it's going to be a while for DeAndre Hunter, and that's unfortunate. Obviously, we talked about him a lot with with Tyler and myself on the previous two podcasts, and I added some more on Monday, but um, the loss is very, very evident on both ends of the floor, especially offensively for the Hawks right now with the way he was playing, and uh, he missed his fifth straight game on Wednesday. So that's the latest on Hunter. He'll be, he'll be out for a while, obviously through the All-Star break and into the second half of the season, and we'll come back and update you as anything else comes in on DeAndre. As for the game itself, we'll sort of set the stage here before we get to a break, and then we'll break, break it all down after that. But the Hawks are missing four guys in this game, which actually is a lot less than they have missed at, at certain times, but still um, worth pointing out that four members of the projected opening night rotation were out of the action for the Hawks in this game against a Dallas team that's at full strength. So that's interesting to point out. Let's just say DeAndre Hunter out, 
Bogdanovich out, and obviously Chris Dunn is still out with an original run to miss this game with lower back pain. Obviously, he's struggled in the recent past, but still not having another body that's you know reasonable player is uh, notable in this spot. Another surprise is there that did, uh, uh, Lloyd Pierce did say before the game started that Gallinari is going to be up to 30 minutes in terms of his restriction now, and he, uh, you know, in this game, he actually played 30 minutes, so he got all the way up to the top of that number, and he'll be obviously a frequent part of the game plan for Atlanta moving forward. And this is a rematch of last week. Obviously, the Trey Lucas stuff is always at the forefront, but an interesting battle, obviously. And Dallas has been playing better recently uh, since that win in Atlanta. And coming into the game, our friends at BetOnline.ag at the Hawks had about three and a half point underdogs. They actually covered the spread in this game despite losing by one and leading throughout the game. So before we dive into it, I'll just say this. The Hawks played, I thought, reasonably well, especially when you factor in, you know, situation on the road shorthanded, and they just played pretty well in this game, especially offensively for the most part. But at the end of the day, Dallas got hot at the right time, and that ended up burning Atlanta. So we'll talk about that more in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show, and the first of which is BlueNile.com. Now, you may have read about it in New York Times, InStyle Magazine, or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring. They're available right now exclusively at BlueNile.com, and when they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people, and with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're ready to mark a special commitment or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings is now available exclusively at BlueNile.com. All right, we'll dive in now, as we always do on the podcast, from start to finish. And it was a lot of highs, some lows, of course, from the Hawks in this game. At the outset, it was a nice stretch from Cam Reddish, who didn't just play well in this game overall, I don't, I don't think. But he had a couple of nice plays early on, had a great cut and a, and a dunk out of the start, honestly. And then John Collins did a three. He was fantastic in this game. A nice design out of the gates with a uh, with Reddish getting that cut and then actually had a nice lefty finish after that. Trey Young got in his foul drawing game pretty quickly in this in this spot. And also had a deep three at the outset. And they sort of handled the traps much better in this game. Of course, that was the talking point last week of the Mavericks game is all the traps and Trey's befuddlement and all that stuff. And the Hawks played very well offensively in this game. There's nothing to criticize really offensively. They scored 1.2 points per possession in the entire game. So, yeah, I mean, if you do that, you're supposed to win, and that's just what, what happens. Um, the Hawks scored 15 points before the first time out. They shot the ball well. They had five assists. Defensively, it was kind of a struggle, but still, they played pretty well. A normal rotation for Atlanta in this game, obviously, sans Rondo. But they basically played, you know, for the most part, it was a nine-man rotation. Um, they actually got into only nine in the second half. Brandon Goodwin only played in the first half, and we'll talk about that in a second, when they, they kind of went without a point guard. And Trey's only sit uh, sort of time on the bench in the second half. But the Hawks went on a 10-2 run early to take the lead. They held the Mavericks to two points at about f- about a four-minute stretch. There was uh, one counterpunch from Dallas at the end of the first quarter with Okongwu missing a bunny that he absolutely has to make. I will be the first one to tell you that uh, I think some of the reaction on Okongwu so far has been like pretty silly in the negative side. Like he's not, he didn't have the full, he didn't have the full offseason and all that stuff. He's, he's not been fantastic since he started playing, but there have been plenty of flashes in this game, he was not good. So I'm not going to sure cook that, sure that all, all, at all. He's a professional. He was bad in this game, and that happens. But there was one uh, particular missed shot that Trey Young was definitely um, getting into him about, and that 
led to a three-point play by Tim Hardaway Jr. on the other floor, which is a pretty big swing in the first quarter. Uh, I thought it was a good sub, actually, to get Herter back in there on the last possession for Kongwu offensively on a two-for-one. Um, other than that, not too much going on. Other than Solomon Hill, Luka Doncic got into it a little bit at the end of the first quarter. Solo is definitely a personality, and he was getting into Luka quite a bit. Uh, they went to Skylar Mays for a defense on the last possession of the first quarter. Uh, nothing else going on there to give, other than giving Trey Young an extra breath of rest. But the Hawks were good offensively. They had nine assists in the first quarter. Collins had eight points coming out of the gate. Um, they just couldn't get stops at the outset. And honestly, that was the theme throughout the game other than the second quarter. Second quarter was very, very good for Atlanta. It was the best quarter overall, and that was basically tied to their defense and Dallas not making a ton of shots. So they went with the second unit coming out of the gate in the second quarter after Trey had played the entire first quarter until the last 10 seconds. Goodwin was in with Herter, Capella, um, Herter, Capella, sorry, and Snell and Gallinari. Um, they went to Reddish pretty quickly after that. He, had, he, he sort of uh, went off a cliff a little bit offensively after that first positive stretch. Goodwin struggled in his one stretch. He had, he had one bad lost ball turnover in transition, and the Hawks just didn't score. The Hawks had three points in about three and a half minutes with Trey Young on the bench to start the second quarter, and that was enough. Uh, credit to Pierce, who got him back in the game quickly. I know that's been a criticism the Hawks fans have had, that they've left Trey on the bench too long. I'm quick to point out that he just can't he can't just <laughs> never sit Trey Young. But in this game, honestly, the plan was con- pretty much never to sit Trey Young. Uh, Trey ended up playing 43 minutes, uh, almost, 42-plus minutes. So, you know. They got away with it to some degree, but uh, that one stretch was bad, and that kind of, I think, spooked everybody into going in a different rotation the rest of the game. But they called a timeout down by four when they put Trey, Trey back in after a shorter break than usual. Then they opened up with a, a nice ATO play to get a three from Kevin Herter, a nice swing, swing pass there from Collins to Herter for that, and then Collins got going. He had four straight points, including a fantastic catch and finish on the break from a pass by Trey. He was very, very good in this game throughout, John was. A 7-0 run, basically, with Trey coming back into the game to force a timeout. Defensively, they had a couple nice plays, including a shot clock violation that they forced for the Mavericks. That was encouraging. They went to Gallinari, uh, back for Capella a little bit earlier than they, when they would have normally because Gal- Capella had foul trouble the entire game. He had three in the first half, then he had his fourth early in the third quarter, along with Reddish, so some um, some noise there in terms of the minutes because if you look at, the, if you look at this, you might be confused by, by why Capella didn't play as much. Part of that was fouls. Part of that was he was not very good in this game. Um, so we'll come back to that later on. But there was a four-point a four play chance from Trey Young. He actually missed the free throw, which is uh, odd for him. But a huge dunk by Collins later on after a beautiful pocket pass by Trey Young. And then a pull-up three from Trey from very, very deep range. A 14-4 to overall run by the Hawks to close the quarter and close the half up by 10. Trey had 19 in the first half. Um, John had 14 in the first half, including some uh, very, very strong efficiency. The rest of the Hawks, though, struggled. They were 7-24 before halftime. That was the theme throughout the game, honestly. Even though the Hawks were still managing to be good offensively, it was a lot of only a couple of guys that really did most of the damage in this spot. And as I said before, they played Trey a ton. I think part of that was the situation of the game and how close it was the entire way. I think part of that was also that they just had three days rest, so maybe he has a little bit longer of a leash. You don't want to play Trey just an incredible amount of minutes, but with with, with that long break before this and then the day off tomorrow, they got away with it and they were able to sort of ride that. But defensively, they forced six turnovers in the second in the second quarter, I should say. They held them out to only 19 points, 38% from the floor, and that was a very very strong performance, all things considered. Um, after halftime, of course, the Hawks go into the break up 10 and. Obviously, you don't want to lose a game when you're up 10 at the half. That's worth saying. The fourth quarter was where it got away from them a little bit. In the third, it was kind of ugly on both sides, actually. The Hawks started out slowly, a nice turn, uh, sorry, a bad turnover by Capella at the uh, at the outset. The Mavs missed some free throws. They had a turnover of their own. And like I said before, 
Capella and Reddish both had four fouls by the 10-minute mark of the third quarter. So that really screws up your rotation a lot. There were, as usual, lots of rotation uh, questions is probably too uh, too kind. Question, uh, rotation yelling on Twitter as, of, as often. Um, and I will just point out again that they had major foul trouble in this game, plus the injuries. So essentially... And I'm not the biggest auto bench guy, but with four fouls early in the third, you have to sit guys, especially Capella, I would say. Now, could, could he play more later on, later on? Maybe. But four fouls with 10 minutes to go in the third quarter as a starting center is tough. At any rate, um, the Hawks got, got, got it back up to 12 at one point. The Mavs did kind of stabilize things back and forth, back and forth. They tried to steal some minutes with Trey Young on the bench in the third after he played so much in that first half, which I actually kind of liked this, the theory of that. There were some... Um, some hiccups during that run. They played without Goodwin, as they, as I said before, he struggled in the first half. They went to Herter and Gallinari as their primary initiators. I might have gone to Collins in that run if you're gonna if you're gonna try to steal some, some minutes without Trey. I do like going with John on the court, but as I said before, like having Capella as they often do that with Capella instead of Collins, but Capella had the foul trouble, so they went with Gallinari, who was not great in this game overall. But I was okay with what they tried to do there. It wasn't the greatest rotation in the world, um, but at the same time, I think. Trying to get some minutes for Trey when you know you got to play him a lot later on uh, is not a bad strategy overall. I just might have gone with Collins in place of one of the other players on the floor. Um, still, the Hawks weathered that storm, so there's a lot of, a lot of attention play, paid to that. But the Hawks were up nine at the end of the third quarter. They were in a perfect perfect spot, and in the fourth, you know, rotationally, the Hawks did what they normally would do, other than going to Snell um, over Reddish, which wasn't a huge problem because Snell was better than Reddish in this game. But in the fourth quarter, Collins played 11-19, Herter played almost 11 minutes, and Trey played all 12. So the normal complaints about Trey being, you know, the Hawks losing because of Trey being off the floor were not the case here. But the Hawks still had the run that they gave up at the beginning of the fourth quarter. This time it was with Trey Young off the floor. I mean, sorry, on the floor. Often when they had this swoon in the second half, it's with Trey off the court. But in this game, he was on the floor, and it was Tim Hardaway Jr.'s show. He went crazy at the outset of the fourth quarter. And honestly... It isn't this simple, but sometimes the other team just makes a ton of shots, and that happened at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Um, THJ scored seven points in a row. Uh, Hawks killer, former Hawk, of course, Tim Hardaway Jr., cutting the lead by himself down to two. Offensively in that run, it was rough from Atlanta. There was a terrible, honestly, a terrible shot by Trey. I don't want to overstate it, but it was a really bad pull-up three with no rhythm. Um, and then a miss, a miss floater by Collins, miss floater by Snell, and the Capella got to the line and missed both. So those are the first four possessions for Atlanta offensively as Tim Hardaway Jr. is going off. Um, out of a timeout, Herter actually stabilized things with five straight points that were big, I thought, to keep the Hawks in decent position. But the Mavs scored 15 points in the first four minutes of the fourth quarter, and that was all with Luka on the bench. So it was all Jalen Brunson and Tim Hardaway Jr. in the entire fourth quarter for the most part. And by the way, in the fourth, those two guys combined for 24 points. Tim Hardaway Jr. Had, had 13, Brunson had 11, and, you know, some of that's fluky shooting, but some of that's just that they were playing well and the Hawks were not stopping them. Um, there was a breathtakingly bad call on Capella for his fifth foul. I have no idea what they saw, honestly. It was a, I'm not sure if it was a moving screen. It was while he was setting a screen, and they called him for something. Uh, people were upset that Pierce didn't challenge. It's not really a play that you challenge because there's not really a leverage play there I mean it would, it would have been fine if they did challenge that because I'm not sure where the foul was but normally it's like on a shot or you know you're putting points off the putting points on the board taking points off the board those weren't the case in that spot it was just a terrible call which I had to make sure that I emphasized 
Um, Hardaway hit another three. By the way, he had, th- he had all 13 of his points in the first six minutes of the fourth. And then it was Brunson after that. Um, back-to-back threes from Doncic and Brunson to give the Mavs an 11-0 run overall to go up 107-101. So, yeah, that was the stretch that lost the Hawks this game. At the end of the at the end of the day, that 11-0 run was it, and the start of the fourth quarter was it. The Mavericks were 10 of 14 with six threes, and there were six of six from three in the first seven minutes of the fourth quarter. That's the ball game. The Hawks were the Hawks scored two points in about a four-minute stretch during that time, and to their credit, they actually bounced back and competed the rest of the way. After a timeout, Trey drew a three-shot foul, made all three, and then after some buckets were traded, Tony Snell had a three to tie the game with about four minutes to go. They, again, like I said before, they closed with Snell and Gallinari for Reddish and Capella. I'm not going to like tell you that was the greatest decision in the world, but I won't kill it either. I know I'm just some, I guess it was kind of controversial. Capella was not good in this game, and I think, of course, he had five fouls as well. Gallinari wasn't very good either, but he, he always gets guarded differently offensively, and the Hawks were struggling offensively. I would have been okay either way with that one, but it didn't bother me. And Snell over Reddish was something that I actually would have recommended, and I was fine with that. Cam was not very good again in this game, so I, I get that, all things considered. Um... The Hawks were in some trouble down four with 2.18 to go. There was a big charge taken, though, by Trey Young to keep them within striking distance. If that, was, if that, been, if that would have been called a block, Atlanta was in some big trouble. But it was called a charge, and then Herter hit a three in the left wing to cut, cut it down to one. They got down four again, though, with 1.20 to go, and then Trey hit another deep three, cutting it back to one. So it was like one to three to one to four to all that stuff. It was kind of in that range the entire rest of the way. They got a stop down one. After uh, Trey made that three, and then Herder missed a contested floater. Not the greatest shot, honestly. He's, it's one that he can make, but that was that was a possession that, that I'm sure the Hawks would like back, all things considered. It wasn't a terrible shot, just like the one at the very, very end wasn't either. But that's one where you, you want a better shot than that. But Herder missed that one. Uh, they got a stop. So it would have been a dagger from Jalen Brunson. He missed a pretty wide-open shot. after. I guess he was due to miss one, frankly, after the, at the way the Mavericks were shooting the ball in this game. But Atlanta gets it back. 4.7 seconds to go, down one um, at the half court. They get, and they call timeout to advance the ball. So they have, they have it at half court, five seconds to go. It's Kevin Herter inbounding. And the biggest controversy post game was that Trey Young gets run over by a screen by Willie Colley Stein and also gets hit in the face on the way down. So he hits the floor immediately before the ball is thrown in. Um, we'll come back to that in a second. Um, it looked like from there that Herter could have thrown a lob to John Collins. Uh, and watching the replay, I, I wish I could see a different a, di- a different angle, but it looked like Collins was open, at least for a second. Um, and even then, it was a nice tag by Tim Hardaway Jr. defensively, but obviously Collins is bigger and more athletic than Hardaway Jr., so you can throw the ball up to him. He'll probably catch it and be able to finish. So I would have thrown the lob based on what I could see from there. Um, so that's a criticism, at least a potential one, for Herter on that non-pass to Collins. And then with Young on the ground and Collins not, the, not getting the pass on time, the only outlet for Herter to throw the ball to was Gallinari, who was deep at that point in time. So he could have taken a deep three, sort of as a catch and shoot. Would have been, would have been contested, but and down one, that isn't a shot you want necessarily, but Gallinari goes to his left, shoots kind of a fadeaway. He can make that shot, but it's not one that you want. So it's like it's kind of nuanced. Like, is that a worst shot in the world? No. Is that a good shot? Probably not. So possession could have obviously gone better, but it was a pretty good design like they had the lob I think Trey was about to come off that screen you know people were asking why why, why they would use Trey to screen that oftentimes is a good way to get a guy open as to have and it wasn't like they only had one second to go they had enough time to have Trey set that screen and then slip it in the way that the Warriors often do with Steph Curry etc but Trey was on the ground which kind of ruined that segment of the play and Pierce uh, circling back now obviously because the shot didn't go in circling back to the Trey Young thing 
he was immediately irate. And Trey is, I mean, he'll obviously complain to a referee every once in a while. He was more visibly upset about that call than you would normally see him. That's for sure. He went immediately to the ref. There was an F-bomb captured on television. Uh, if you watch the replay of that, he was not happy. Um, so from there, obviously, Pierce wasn't happy either. Um, Pierce, I would say to his credit, got the back of Trey and got the back of his guys after the game and said more than once that it should have been a foul. In fact, Pierce revealed when he was asked by the media that the official told him that, it, that they almost called or at least should have called a moving screen on Trey, which I thought was a ridiculous sentiment. Listen, I can see all sides on the should it have been a foul thing. Um you're not getting that call in that spot very often, but Trey was also bloodied from the face. Like he got hit in the face. Like that was, it is what it is. Like it's obviously some contact that you don't want. Um, the size is the size disparity probably hurt him a little bit in that spot as well. Um, once it didn't happen, could they've gotten a better shot? Probably the lob was there. I thought, but man, a uh, frustrating end for sure. But I thought the design was good. They just didn't execute it in the way they, they wanted to. And that started again with the non-call on Trey and then sort of went down from there. So I don't know all sides. It was uh, not what you want at the end of the game. I would say, again, a one-point loss at, on the road to Dallas is not a disastrous result. The problem is when you're up by nine going into the fourth quarter and up ten going into the second half, you're supposed to win that game, and they were not able to hold on. So we will talk about the individual players momentarily, but that's the broad strokes for me is that the Hawks played well enough to win offensively, and then defensively they just kind of ran into a buzzsaw in the fourth quarter. So broad strokes time. Fourth quarter shooting for the Mavericks. 15 of 22, 7 of 9 from 3. 9 assists in the fourth quarter. I mean, <laughs> the crazy part about that is that, again, 24 of the 37 came from two bench guys in Hardaway Jr. and Brunson. Yes, they're better than bench guys normally. Hardaway Jr. is obviously a starting caliber player. Brunson's a good backup point guard. But it wasn't like Luka got them or... Porzingis got them. It was two supporting pieces that really sort of went off. Luca had four points, uh, sorry, five points and four assists in the fourth quarter. But it was really just that barrage of shooting that cost the Hawks this game, if you want to sort of zoom out a little bit. Offensively, the Hawks did enough. As I said before, he scored about 119 points per 100 possessions. That is well above average and would have been plenty on most nights. Um, they had 27 assists. They had only had nine turnovers, which is a very encouraging number for this Hawks team. They got to the line 28 times. That's more than the Mavericks did. They weren't a huge offensive rebounding threat in this game. That's actually a, a bit of a surprise, given the way that they have attacked Dallas in the past on that. And part of that's just that Capella wasn't a huge factor in this game, really, at all on, on offense. Um, but other than that, the offense was very good. They did more than enough. Defensively, most of it was the fourth quarter, but in the game, the Mavs shot 51% from the floor, 40% from three, 90% from the line. They had 25 assists. Uh, you know, you're going to lose. <laughs> if your opponent shoots 64% true shooting in a game and doesn't turn the ball over a ton, you're just going to lose more often than not. So part of that is that Dallas has talent. Um, part of that is that they have creation, they have shooting, but um, they also just got hot at a really bad time for Atlanta. And that is the end of that. Okay, before we get into the individual breakdowns in this game, more from our sponsors, and the first of which is betonline.ag. Football may be over, but the NBA, college basketball, the NHL, and many more sports are in full swing, but there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action, and you can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL, baseball is on the way in the near future and all kinds of additional angles to handicap, including awards, TV shows, and reality TV. In fact, there are dozens of real-time updated props on almost anything you can imagine, and BetOnline has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds, including future bets, if you want to look way ahead. 
It is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action and visit the website or use a mobile device to sign up today. Don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll close up shop with some individual discussions on the players and how they performed in this game. Scholar Mays barely played, uh, but he got in the game, so there you go for Scholar. DNPs for Nathan Knight and Bruno Fernando. Brandon Goodwin only played one stretch, four minutes. He struggled. Obviously, Ronald being out of the game gave him a role to play, but they decided to go without a point guard in the second half. That was defensible after the way that Goodwin played, and obviously the Mavs are not a team where you just like need that kind of ball pressure, uh, at least from a smaller guard. They're often let. I mean, even... Even Brunson, who is their point guard a lot of the time, is not this like speedy guy that can that can't be covered by anyone small. So that takes away Goodwin's number one asset in a lot of ways, and he wasn't fantastic when he played. A Kongwu, six minutes, uh, very limited deployment. He was bad though in this game. Uh, again, long term is a different discussion, and I've talked about it a lot in the recent past. I think people are getting up on him for no reason right now. It's way too early. He had way too he had sort of had a way too weird of a season so far, injuries and all that. I still like Kongwu plenty, but in this game he was bad. Uh, we'll just kind of leave it there. No points. One rebound. Uh, had a turnover. Just wasn't very good. Um, elsewhere, everybody else did some stuff to contribute in a positive manner. Solomon Hill played 10 minutes only. Hit two threes, though, and uh, had six points. He was minus 11. Uh, he was on the stretch. He was on the court with a Kongwu in that one disaster stretch that the Hawks had. Um, other than that, I thought he was okay. He wasn't like he was a huge plus, but wasn't terribly bad. Tony Snell was very solid again. Uh, we've now seen what Tony Snell is going to be, I think, for the most part. Tony Snell is not going to shoot the ball very off, very often. When he shoots it, it, it's a pretty good look. He's a catch-and-shoot three-point three point specialist, I will say, at this point in time. And then defensively, he does his job. He's fine. Six points, six rebounds, two assists, plus four. I thought he played pretty well. And again, I, I liked closing with him over, over Reddish. Obviously, long-term, Reddish is a more important piece of the team. No one's saying otherwise. But right now, today, I think Snell is probably just better in terms of just having a solid like fifth option offensively who can make some plays. Obviously, Reddish is uh, more, more dynamic defensively, for sure. But in this game, I was totally fine going with Snell. And then Gallinari struggled with a shot in this game, 2 of 12 from the floor, 1 of 7 from 3. Got to the line six times and had six free throws and made them all. Um, three assists, three rebounds, and 11 points. You know, I think he's more effective than the, than the bad shooting indicates in this game because he has to be guarded. Something I've said a lot about Gallinari is that obviously he was not his best self today. He wasn't even good by his standards, but he gets guarded in a way that other guys do not get guarded, which helps the rest of the offense. So it isn't a huge coincidence to me that the Hawks were still better with him on the court offensively in this game. But defensively, he does give a lot back. So I said this before, but I would have been fine going back to Capella if they wanted to do that. But in this game, limited options and neither guy was good. So I didn't have a huge problem either way with that alignment. And Gallinari playing more is generally a good thing overall, even if not necessarily in this game. Um, to the starters, Cam Reddish, 27 minutes, 2 of 7 on the floor, 0 of 4 from 3. It's just a jump shot right now. It's not there. I thought he was actually better in this game in terms of his like overall on-court decision-making and defensively made some plays, but 0-4 from three hurt them. And he, you know, it, it, it was, it's kind of a struggle for him right now. If he's not gonna make jump shots, it's gonna be tough. Um, it's not all about that, but he needs that to at least be reasonable right now. He's just struggling mightily with his jumper. And then click Capella, 21 minutes, six points, seven rebounds, his first non-double-digit rebounding game in a long, long time. Um, he wasn't terrible, but at four turnovers as well, I think by his standards, it's probably his worst game of the season, I would say, just the way that he actually played. Um, not only the numbers, but the foul trouble, and then just didn't make a huge impact defensively and offensively was just pretty bad overall. So that's unfortunate. 
timing wise. And again, the Hawks just need him to be better um, in the spot. And then the three guys who made huge contributions offensively, Kevin Herter, 23 points, a season high for him, eight rebounds, three assists, and a steal. 915 from the floor, four of seven from three. I thought he was really good. Uh, like I said, I think he probably should have passed the ball to John Collins on the last play, and that late floater was not probably the best shot in the world, but I think overall in this spot he was quite good, um, and that was a uh, needed punch offensively to join Collins and Young. Uh, Trey, 25 points and 15 assists. Obviously, that's, that speaks for itself. Seven rebounds, had a block and a steal as well. Shouts to Trey. I think defensively, he was actually pretty spunky for most of this game. In the fourth, I'm not sure if he got tired, but he lost Brunson a few times in the fourth quarter, which were pivotal. It was not only him by any means, but he probably, I mean, he obviously played a ton, 42 plus minutes. That's a lot of, that's a lot of deployment for Trey. 8 22 from the floor, 4 of 11 from 3, 5 6 from the free throw line. He was still quite good overall. A couple of four shots, I will say. Um, I mentioned the one that was uh, particularly galling to me in the fourth quarter. But other than that, I think he was uh, reasonable. And obviously, the, the assists speak for themselves. His passing is always quite good, and the, the scoring is what it is as well. And then finally, I thought Collins was the best player on the floor for the Hawks in this game. And honestly, maybe for the whole game, but especially for, for the first three, three and a half quarters, I thought he was best, the best player overall in the entire game on both sides. 33 points, 8 rebounds, a steal, and a block for JC in 38 minutes, 13 of 18 from the floor, got the line six times, made all six, 103 from three, defensively made a ton of plays. I thought he was really good, and by the way, he was plus 11 in a game the Hawks lost by one. Um, so I'm guilty of this too, and by the way, Trey was plus seven. So that tells you the Hawks were very good when their two best, by, best, best players played, and they were pretty bad when they, when they didn't, and that was kind of it for this game. So again, last thing, the Hawks should have won this game probably. Uh, is, is it a bad loss? No. Is it a frustrating loss? Absolutely yes. And uh, on to Friday when the Hawks will come home for the first of a back-to-back. That'll be interesting to see if the Hawks can uh, at least get a split against Indiana and San Antonio on Friday and Saturday. We'll, we'll, we'll preview that later, later on and all that stuff. But that's going to be coming, and the Hawks are now 11-13. and 13. That's not a disaster, but they, they have to get some wins in the near future, and we'll talk more about that as we get going here. One more thing before we get out of here on this fine Wednesday evening into Thursday. We haven't done a ton of coverage on the NBA All-Star Game conundrum and the back and forth with all of that lately, but it obviously has a local tie-in to Atlanta. So to update you on that, Maria Martin with our friends at 11 Alive Sports gives us an update on all the latest. An NBA All-Star Game announcement seemed imminent, but as word circulated that the league was scrambling to put a game together, I think it's stupid. Player criticism arose. Reports stated that the league and the Players Association liked the idea of having the game, but the actual players, not so much. Still dealing with a, with a pandemic. We're still deal, dealing with everything that's been going on. And we're going to bring the whole league into one city that's open. Obviously, you guys can see I'm not very happy about it. After LeBron's comments, no announcement, just murmurs of the league continuing to work out the details. The job for the union has been to try to make sure our players are healthy and safe. Chris Paul is the president of the NBA Players Association and advocated for an all-star game, and he's still working to make that happen. Different situations, you know, guys who've been playing a lot of games, uh, who hadn't really had much of breaks. You know, guys look at that break as an opportunity to see their families. Television rights are what makes it too appealing for the league to give up. Last year's game saw a ratings increase of 8%, 7.3 million viewers. Ads sold out in record time in 2020, bringing in millions. We all know why we're playing it. Uh, you know, is money on the line. Just putting, putting money over health right now. There is no timeline for an announcement, but it's likely coming. It may not bring the same fanfare as a typical event, but for Trey Young, he says it would be an honor. It's a different opinion for me uh, than a lot of other guys who are flying in and 
Um, I understand both sides. 11 Alive has been all over this, and they'll continue to update us on all of that. But for the latest, check them out at 11 Alive News and 11alive.com. All right, friends, please subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you next time.